Small businesses are the backbone of America, and they help keep the Texas spirit alive. But did you know as many as 50% will close their doors forever after just five years? Well, we're here to change that. This is The Beef. This is The Beef. We know how tough it is to be an entrepreneur today. That's why we're giving small business owners a platform to share their stories. You'll hear it all. The highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and everything in between. This is The Beef Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing in partnership with Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Beef. I'm your host, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer on Instagram. In the studio with me today, I've got Dr. David Jones with Safety on Two Wheels. Doc, thanks for being here. Sure. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Man, I told you we were going to start off with a little icebreaker question here. So this one is not as out there. Well, I guess it will be. You'll see that pun in a second. But it's not as out there as all of the other ones I've done have been. I'm sure you've seen recently all this travel to space by citizens going with SpaceX. And I think Bezos recently said he made a trip, although I'm not convinced he actually went all the way up. Right. Right. So would you travel to space if it was possible? I probably would not. It's not that I have a fear or concern about it. It's just I love seeing where I'm going and I love experiencing every bit of it. I think that's why I've been on motorcycles since I was 16 and not in a car. You can travel from point A to point B in the car and the destination is is your experience. And on a motorcycle, as soon as you leave the garage or your driveway, you've now begun the adventure. And so I don't know that I would do that. Even if I had the money to do it, I'm fine with looking at pictures coming back, but I just don't know that it would be anything that I would be interested in. Yeah, I think it's something I want to do, but yeah. I don't I don't know if it's something I would do. Right. I, I hear that. And like you, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm scared of it. I just think that, like you said, it's it's so new too. It is. You think of people like Chuck Yeager. Did he have any idea what's going to happen on the other side of the sound barrier? It's like, no, he didn't. Same people, the uh, same kind of a rodeo mentality in the motorcycle industry. People that started going out to White Sands looking at trying to make land speed records. Do they have any idea what's going to happen when that motorcycle goes over 200 miles an hour? No. And we need pioneers like that, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> I can understand that for sure. Well, Doc, the reason we're here today, we want to hear all about you, your history, and then safety on two wheels. You know, we want to hear about that company and why you started it and what kind of pushes you to do this. Sure. Well, it's an interesting event. And when you start talking to people who have been riding motorcycles as long as I have, we pretty much all have the same story. We started riding total against our parents' permission. It's kind of like the, you call it those things you used to hide from your parents kind of a story. I didn't necessarily hide mine. They just said that I, they were adamant that me never having a motorcycle until I could afford to get one. And I took that as challenge accepted. And during the summer, my junior, senior year, I was able to work with my grandpa as a carpenter, 6'5", 220 pounds, strapping young kid. I was able to make some money. And at the same time, working out, of, they called them muscle mills back in those days. We didn't have health spas. It was just a place with iron weights and working out for football and meeting different people. And there's this uh, burly motorcycle guy that would show up from time to time. And I'd stand outside and look at his Harley. And next thing you know, we worked out a deal where he offered to help me put together and build a motorcycle. It's in those days, they were a chopper. It was literally out of pieces. And by the end of summer, I pulled up in front of my parents' house 
on a motorcycle that was a chopper, had the Harley-Davidson motor in it, suicide clutch. For those who don't know what that is, that's where you have to step on the clutch with your left foot instead of your left hand and you're shifting on the side tank. Did not have a front brake, only had a rear drum brake, twitchy throttle. I mean, it was the most (laughs) death trap thing you could possibly imagine, but I loved it. And had built it, we titled it, I got my license, I managed to pay for insurance and there wasn't anything they could do except, well, okay, you met the challenge and I've been riding ever since. So it's been a joy. I got into racing for a while, right out of high school. I thought I wanted to be a, a track racer, not realizing that there's reason people my size don't ride horses as <laughs> jockeys, the same people my size don't ride even these super bikes. And back in those days, 500 was the the big engine size to go after the thousands were just starting to come out. And didn't do well on that circuit, but I enjoyed the ride and learned a lot from it. I actually took training to get my AMA track license. And so that was my first real official training on a motorcycle. So over the years, I've owned multitude of motorcycles and traveled, kept the racing out of the streets because I realized I just wanted to experience it. There's there's things you experience on a motorcycle that you can in a car, but there are a lot of things that are contrary to human nature that you end up crossing paths with or having to convince yourself to do on a motorcycle that you don't in a car. And that's where there's a kind of a difference of between riding a car and, and driving a motorcycle. They're just different. A lot of people look at riding motorcycles as a really cool alternative to a car, and it is, but they're nowhere near the same. And I try to convince our students when I'm talking to my students that address this like it's a sport and not just another vehicle to drive. And just like any sport, you can go as far in your sport as you want to. You know, you can stay in, in little leagues and, and maybe grow up and play some stuff as you get older and pitch the football around in the front yard and you're doing fine. But if you think you want to line up in front of someone like J.J. Watts on an NFL team, you need to get prepared. And those players are really kind of small compared to the vehicles you're dealing with out in the road. And that kind of is my opener for my class just to kind of help people set the right mode. I'm going to be teaching you a sport. And it has certain skills you need to practice, certain things that are contrary to what you would normally do, walking or driving a car. And we have to have to change those patterns. So that's kind of what I talk about in the class. Why did we get started on safety on two wheels? At 2016, I'd purchased, my wife and I purchased a 2015 Indian Roadmaster and uh, we're riding it around and going different places. And the Indian group had just kind of started getting big. Indian had just relaunched itself again for the for the third or the fourth time since the original bankruptcy. And so there were Indian rallies popping up everywhere. And of course, we would go to those. And a friend of mine, who actually is a business partner now with Safety on Two Wheels, we ended up going up to Colorado. There was an annual rally up there, about 85 Indian motorcycles, nearly 100 people there in Durango, Colorado, people from all over the country. And we'd spent four days riding with these people. I've ridden with people before. And we're sitting around. There was a pizza and brewery right across the street from the motel. So we walked across there at the end of the day, and we're sitting around drinking drinking beer and, and eating a pizza. It's kind of kind of funny saying you started a company off of drinking beer. But in any case, we were talking about it, talking about you know the different riding techniques and styles that were 
really not quite right. I mean, they managed to keep the bike upright, but you know, mistakes were made and wobbles were made when they shouldn't have been and talking about the need for training. And I just kind of came out of my mouth and said, you know, I, I don't want to spend my whole life and just leave the income for my family. I mean, that's nice. That's what a, a husband and a father should do. You prepare for your family. But I kind of wanted to leave a little bit of an impact on society. Not that I need to make a name of myself, but I just wanted to leave something behind that would keep going that would be a benefit. You know, the you introduced me as Dr. David Jones, and a lot of people wonder what field of medicine I'm in, or am I uh, an educator, a doctor of education, or anything like that. I'm not. It's a doctor of divinity. And it had nothing to do with my income or my business. It's just a path I went down on my own just to find out the truth. Been to multiple churches and and you hear all types of sermons and thou shalt nots and thou should haves and thou didn'ts and I want to know the truth. And in the process of learning, I kept getting more interested in it and just ended up becoming a doctorate. No other reason than just something for self-fulfillment. And so my students, when I put my name up there, they think DD stands for daredevil. But anyway, I have this desire to want to help people. And I said, let's look at a training program. Let's let's go back and figure out how to set up a training program as well as a, a touring company. Because there's a lot of people who may not join a group, may not know where to go traveling. And so I've traveled all over the country and my partner traveled. And so on a napkin, we kind of threw some ideas around and, and decided we would finish talking about it the next day after we had breakfast <laughs> and we were drinking beer and see if it still made sense. <laughs> and, and it did. So that's kind of how we birthed both Safety on Two Wheels and Touring Adventures. We came up with several different names at the time. I uh, realized right up front that one of us or both of us needed to at least find out what the training is required. I knew that since 2009, Texas had passed a law where in order to obtain your M endorsement or your motorcycle license, as we call it, you have to take a basic rider course. And so I knew that. Well, about the same time in life, my wife is having her, we had a birthday party at our house, an Indian theme, of course, because it was all the Indian riders. I think the neighborhood thought that bad people were showing up because there were like 15 Indian motorcycles wrapped around the house in the neighborhood. And during my wife's birthday, she says, I think I want to ride my own motorcycle. And of course, my first thought after 26 years of marriage, well, I have a scare you. Said, no, no, I feel comfortable. I just want to ride my own. I think I want the challenge. So her birthday's in October, and we set up a time at the end of February thinking winter would be over, and it would. You still have to wear what we call all the gear all the time at GAT, and so we knew she had to wear all the, all the gear for the class, so it would be less hot than waiting till summertime. Mm -hmm. And about a week before the class, she said, I don't really want to take the class by myself. Would you take it with me? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I might learn something. And I went in it with that attitude that I might learn something. And what I learned was people need a lot of encouragement to do something that I took for granted. And the class was two days, and it dawned on me in two days, someone is going to be given a license if they can pass the written test and the skills test. And the skills test had some issue. I did. I made one bobble. I put my foot down. cost me three points on one little exercise. And it's got some effort to it. And my wife worked hard at it and the instructor did everything he could. And it just kind of dawned on me that there's got to be a way to help people ride and to learn how to ride and to use this program that 
was developed by Motorcycle Safety Foundation. They've been working on it since 73, so you trust them to have all their eggs in the right basket. And I wanted to get involved with that. And so went to my partner. I said, here's the direction I think we need to go. Let's get trained and certified. Well, he had only had his license in Texas for less than two years, and that was the requirement at the time. as a minimum two years, so he couldn't take the class. I took the class. Brand new curriculum. It was the new curriculum that we're teaching today in 2016. It's December 2016, a new curriculum. And when we graduated, there was 12 that went in the class, and seven of us completed the course, graduated, and they welcomed us. So we now have brought the training. Rider coaches in Texas is now up to 416, and by all calculations, we need about 500. And so if you know somebody, let's get them involved. And I thought that was good. And then I spent the next nine months wanting to try to train somebody because they had not changed the range courses and trained everybody else. And so about a year later is when I finally got a chance to get out and start training. And I just, I loved it. I saw where it gave me a chance to impart what I knew in addition to the criteria. We follow booklets and I mean, we're down to the reading it word by word to make sure everyone gets the exact same class. But there's also leeway within there for you to add emphasis of why something is and to talk about it. And so I enjoyed that and realized that the students were enjoying it as well. So that was the beginning of Safety on Two Wheels. And then we sat back and looked at starting the actual business. And I thought, well, I don't want a business, a for-profit business, not that I don't want to make money. I mean, I'm not rolling in the dough, but I wanted something that would continue on after we were gone. I'm 10 years older than my partner, turned 65 in June. Last thing you'd think anybody 65 years old would want to do would be launch a brand new business after three years of preparation, but that's exactly what we did. And having had past experience managing and overseeing 501c3 on a Christian basis, oversaw and still do an organization called Church Ministerial Alliance. And they're they're all about outreach and missionaries and a very good footprint in East and West Africa and now down in Nicaragua. And so I had that experience. And so I said, let's go that route. And the reason for it is we needed help with funds. And here's why. Since 2009, Texas has to have this class. It was originally handed over to the Texas Department of Public Safety, their motorcycle rider unit, and they oversaw it. They did as good a job as they could being thrown into the fire. They used the MSF course. They actually purchased old bikes back then. And as a company would sign up and want to get into this business, so to speak, they would help that company that give them eight or 10 loaner bikes with the idea of in four to five years later, they would have enough money set aside, buy new bikes, turn these back in. And the theory of macroeconomics is where you help one business start. Once they get growing, they pour back into the bank, so to speak. It crumbled with, in my opinion, greed and that they're making money and the bikes are free and no one was demanding them to come back. And next thing you know, they're running out of bikes and making it difficult. It's hard to find a place. If you think about it, back in the original range, you needed a, a huge amount of space, 120 feet wide, 260 feet long of paved, unobstructed area, not easy to find. And so not a lot of people were signing up for it. It's not like driver's education where you can just drive around in the city streets and all you need is a little shotgun 
you know, strip center to, to train in. And so at that time, I think we were probably in the mid thirties as far as facilities, mid to upper thirties across the state, but mostly in major cities. Houston had several, Austin had a few, Dallas had several, San Antonio had a couple. There were a couple down in Corpus Christi and, and they were having some financial issues. Beaumont had one at the time. There was one up in East Texas. Because of not a huge push to help everyone know you've got to take this class and there's not really anything that helps our police department enforce it too much unless they find someone doesn't have a license, they give them a ticket. There wasn't a lot of people showing up and they started dwindling down. And then by the end of the training of all new of the, of the original trainers, the original 416, they went down to under 300 because they'd failed the course. Or they just don't want to take the course again. They don't want to start all over again. So they just attrition. And if you look at me, I haven't had dark hair for a very long time. And I'm kind of status quo of rider coaches. There's a few in their in their 30s, maybe, or 40s. Most of them are in their 50s doing a part-time work. We've had some really got some really good retired military coming in and the teaching, but there's just not a lot of new coaches coming on board because it takes time takes time and it takes money. And so we're seeing all this going on. I thought, okay, let's start a nonprofit. There are some companies that will match their donations and let's just move in that direction. So we started that, not realizing how difficult it would be to get a nonprofit educational 501c3 public. And so with a good effort for some people that were put in our path to help us write the program, we got accepted, started moving forward, started trying to find the land finally found the land, finally got all the thing put together, ready to move over here at Lone Star College and Tomball. They used to have a training facility themselves, not at this location, but another location. And it proved to be too difficult to manage and it's closed down. And so Dr. Wade over here worked out a deal where $20 for every student we train will turn around at the end of the year, write a check to the college, and they'll put it in their fund to help people who need help financially for tuition. So it's kind of a win-win situation, a public service provided. Well, this little thing called COVID kind of popped up mm -hmm. in life mm -hmm. and shut the entire world down. My partner got certified as a dirt bike instructor. So we're promoting the dirt bikes and we had dirt bikes on loan from Honda. And then we turned those back in each year. So we turned ours in in October and we found out that Honda is not making production right now. They're concerned about the world economy. And so that got shut down. Everything is shut down. And now we're just in coast mode. And uh, we've got a substantial amount of money put into this to begin with. And like I said, not that we're wanting to make money, but we want to at least meet our overhead. And we weren't. But that's okay. We kept moving forward. And Interestingly, the, the location that Tomball College first offered us, we looked at because we knew it was just weekend. We didn't want to interfere with their college and their classes and their parking. And so big parking lot on the backside. And we got the approval and the thumbs up. The state came out and looked at it. They measured it. I sent pictures to MSF in California. They approved it. We sent it back to the state. They approved what MSF approved. And then I went over there and signed the contract. All this stuff happens. Like I said, and then COVID started. So I get a, an email, you know, checking in with Dr. Wade throughout the summer, and I get an email around March. So things are opening back up again. We want to talk to you about the facility. Can you come out? And my first thought was like, 
No, no. Have I got to lose my location? Well, interestingly, the police department out there was concerned that I was going to be leaving the trailer in the main parking lot all the time. It's a mobile facility, by the way. We've got a car hauler that we've converted into an air-conditioned classroom with TV, media, so we can show what we need to show. Bikes are fit in there during the night. They pull out during the day and use them, put them back in, lock everything up. And they were concerned we were going to be leaving that. You know, where are we going to leave your space? I said, well, it's, it's mobile. I was going to come in on weekends. And they said, well, there's an area that they don't use. It was literally built in the first place, a parking area to help stage the equipment and material to build the college itself. And so we looked at that perfect spot. I can have it seven days a week now. And so, great. Well, well I'm starting all over again. Back to the photographs, MSF, get their approval. Everything else going on. In the meantime, every three months, I have to give a report to MSF what we're doing. So we're watching everything going on. It's like, this is happening. I mean, this is finally happening. We need training motorcycles. <laughs> and, and the one thing that the pandemic has caused is an enormous amount of purchases of motorcycles and RVs and ATVs and side-by-sides. It, I had no idea how much sales there were until I went in, talked to our Honda dealer that was working with us on the dirt bike school and walked in, there's like six bikes on the floor. And are they are they going through the chip shortage deal too as no. well or does that not affect them? Oh my gosh. Well, for start off, the manufacturers held back on making bikes. Now they're back up into full ramp. And I've heard this from three different motorcycle manufacturer reps. So I've got to take it for the truth. The manufacturers have the bikes built ready to ship. It's not a chip issue. It's a container issue. Mm, yep. The containers are floating out in the ocean on ships trying to find docks to unload their containers on that are chocked full of all of these cars that are shipped in without the chips. So if you go by the dock, there's, a, there's like a sea of vehicles. I've heard of one of the uh, racetracks over here in Houston is not even available now because it's got vehicles parked on it. And so that's the problem right now is, is the bike manufacturers are wanting to ship them in, but they can't find the containers to ship them in on. And so we're now in this quagmire waiting for chips to come in. And so that's the issue with, with us. So we were looking around trying to find bikes. Now, training bikes have to have a certain size. MSF requires certain horsepower, certain seat height, certain weight, and you got to be within that category. And those type of motorcycles were old. They're not making them anymore. And in fact, majority of the of the facilities across the United States, Texas and the rest of the United States, especially Texas, because they were using the loaner bikes until DPS was no longer over that system, were old. Some companies are replenishing them with their own bikes, but they're still buying used bikes, 12, 2010, 12, uh, 16. Some facilities have some of the original bikes are 14 to 16 years old, and they're hard to find, hard to find parts. And so we looked at this and we decided, okay, we want to be a nonprofit. We want to be able to have it set up for a sliding scale because one of the greatest pushbacks to take the class is the cost, 230 to 250 bucks for a two-day class. And in Texas – Especially down here in South Texas, we have an enormous amount of skilled and non-skilled labor workers working six and seven days a week. So now we're going to ask them to pay $200 and give up two days of work, take a class. 
And so we knew that was one of the pushbacks. And so we wanted to set something up on a sliding scale for that. If someone between jobs or doesn't have jobs or COVID shut this down or that down, and we're still as a area, Houston Metro is still recovering from COVID recession, primarily in our skilled and non-skilled and warehouse worker. And we haven't brought all those back up yet. Commercial construction's down to zero. So anyway, that's the premises behind that. Set up this nonprofit. So, but we didn't want to just make it nonprofit and cheap and ugly. And mm-hmm. here's a piece of trash to try to learn on. And so we sat around and started trying to work out with deals with different manufacturers. And interestingly, KTM, which not a lot of people heard of. If you're in the dirt bike world, you know KTM and Husqvarna. If you've been following the, the, the Dakar, you realize KTM's won the Dakar 16 out of 18 years. And so not many people understood that they really have a good bike for road. And at the time, I was looking at the little 390, which was a little bit too much horsepower. And they'd come out with their 200 Dukes about a year ago. And I talked to the dealership at Wild West Motorplex out in Katy, one of the dealers that carry KTM, talking to them about what I wanted to do and what could you do? Talk with the rep. If I buy six or eight bikes, what can you do? And about three months later, KTM came back and said, gave us a price. Wasn't a lot, but the way it worked out between them and what Emma and what Wild West Honda, excuse me, Wild West Motorplex, because they sell more than Hondas, what Wild West Motorplex came up with, they took a little bit off of their processing everything as well. So it equated that when I purchased six and a half motorcycles, one and a half was free. Not so bad. It's not bad, but still, in all in all, I've got $42,000 invested into eight brand new KTM motorcycle, about 20000 in the trailer and the build out. So we're at about 60000 out of pocket for a business that's just starting. <laughs> and so we understand the pain, but we've been thankful that a few people have stepped forward and helped with some of the offset. But what I have found out over this three-year period of getting this up and running was we don't have a lot of effort or energy or time or space to train new riders, new rider coaches. We need coaches. Bad. It was only being done when DPS had it. They would work with different providers who would give up range space money for them to train riders. So I took mine in Colleen when I took my class. And they were different places. So Texas, how, how Texas Department of Public Safety was able to do it because they didn't have the facility. Well, that meant you had to spend time to go there. Class was not that expensive in itself, but it takes 10 days over a two-week period. I don't care how you look at it. By the time you get a motel room and you feed yourself and you're gone for two weeks and your class, you're spending over $2,000, about $2,500. Not to mention the fact that that's now two weeks of your work you're giving up. So a lot of people in corporate worlds only have maybe two or three weeks of vacation. So you take two weeks from vacation from your family to go learn how to be a rider coach when you can only really teach on the weekends because you're working throughout the week. Okay. And we need weekend coaches. Right. But that's that's been the pushback. So back to the drawing board. Let's reinvent what we're wanting to do. So now we've got this in phases. We want to start pulling money aside to help offset this cost. You know, if you if you go to work at, at Corporation X and you want to get a degree and, and it'll help you and what you're doing, then they reimburse you for your degree and maybe your time. Yep. So we're set up something similar to that. 
If you pass, we'll reimburse you for your living expenses and maybe even help offset for one week of your vacation. So you just have to take one vacation and maybe one week without pay. So we're working on that. Well, then I found out that when the department, Texas Department of Public Safety, the motorcycle unit was sunsetted, which means it's got to go away. Someone else is going to take over. So there was this two-year hiatus of who's going to take this over. It ended up being Department of Texas Department of Licensing Regulations. Don't know anything about motorcycle training. Jumped in there with both feet. I mean, they wrapped their brain cells around as much as they could. Worked out arrangements with Teeks, which is out of uh, Texas A&M. They mm-hmm. do the firefighter training. Yep. Great group of people. And they had a third agency that's doing the marketing. So now what DPS was trying to do with five or six men, it's now spread out into three entities. And so it's on the right track. But now training is at Texas A&M. So you still have to go to Austin. So it's still a a financial issue. And then as we were getting approved and we knew that Texas Department of Public Safety was going out out of the industry, so to speak, we found out that they had two or three of their employees were trainers and they had two fifth wheels with the trucks, mobile classrooms, just like we were wanting to build. And they would send these two men or three men out 50 weeks, 50 weekends out of the year to 12 or 13 locations across the state, rural areas. There's no place to go. That went away. I mean, they're not doing it anymore. And so, okay, now there's a third need that needs to be done. And so that's kind of where we're at. We're trying to fill this need. And here's why. Here, here's the bottom line. When we got down this path, that's when we started looking. There's a, there's a website called looklearnlive.org, chocked full of enormous amount of information. I started talking with different people in the motorcycle industry. But Texas has a problem. We currently have over 30,000 unlicensed motorcycle riders in the state of Texas. We have the highest per capita of motorcycle accidents and deaths, second highest. Florida, number one, Texas, number two, California, number three. The motorcycles only take up 2% of the vehicles on the roads in Texas. We account for 14% of the accidents and 40% of the deaths. And the majority of those are unlicensed riders. And there's not enough facilities in Texas to meet all those needs. We're down to like 26 across the entire state of Texas. The last I heard, my mouth dropped open. I thought we were at around 280. And the last I heard is we're just right at the 200 mark, according to Texas Department of Licensing Regulations. So we've lost more than half of We've lost more than half of our rider coaches. Wow. And it's nobody's fault other than there wasn't anything going on for two years. Because of the sun setting, they couldn't do it. DPS couldn't do it. TDLR couldn't pick it up until their date of of ownership. Mm -hmm. And so we lost that. They had a little bit of training, but not much. People were getting out of the business. It It was just tough. Unless you're making a lot of money, you can't afford that much space. We're talking two thirds of an acre of pavement for a class. And so... The schools that had it changed their ideas, need the land for something else. And so for whatever reason, we've lost people as well, people and facilities. So we're wanting to, I have a list, uh, Texas DPS, that unit, great people. 
And, and some of them are now working with uh, TDLR, which helps, helps them understand what's going on. But I got the list of all of their locations for training. And so what we would love to do is as we grow, people catch on to what we're trying to do, promote motorcycle safety. We want to put the same type of mobile unit we're using over here at Lone Star College in Tomball in three or four locations in the areas where they are needed. And as coaches get trained up, workout arrangement for them to hook that trailer up, take it over there, train it for the weekend, drop the trailer back, lock everything back down, and we can pay them the proceeds for that. So we can they can afford and make some money to do it and get some people trained just since we've been open. And we have officially been open for uh, since the 1st of September. I've had people from Texas A&M, Bryan College Station, Huntsville, Lake Jackson, Beaumont, Austin, and Buda have driven in and spent the night hmm. because we're new, we're open, everybody else is booked. I mean, it's not that we're that great people want to come to us. It's like everybody else is booked right. and they want to get their license. So they're coming here to do it. But we're also finding out that people are starting to realize that one, we've got a, a small course, a small range, a lot of hands-on and brand new motorcycles. So we're starting to pick up some some people coming in from word of mouth as well. And so that's kind of where I'm really excited about this is let Tomball know what's going on. We love Tomball. My wife and I have been trying to get out here for years. We managed to find a little piece of property over here off of Magnolia and Kane, right across from the, those that are familiar with the Tomball area, right across the street from the Masonic Lodge. And we bought that in December and we were going to build, but the building industry and the prices went crazy. So we're just kind of sure. holding off. But as that settles back down within the next year, we will be full-blown Tomball residents. We're excited about moving out here and meeting this area and this need that it's out here. So that's kind of what brought us all to this this location. If it wasn't for Dr. Wade, recognizing the, the public need. Great guy. I can't say enough about him. And recognizing that we're a nonprofit, we're trying to work things out. We're trying to provide a public service that is so needed. But the other part is we need to try to help the public understand what the true need is. And I've had people say, well, you know, I don't ride a motorcycle. I don't know anyone in my family rides a motorcycle. I mean, I'm glad what you're doing. Thank you. But I don't see the benefit for me. Well, if you drive a car in Texas or a truck in Texas, these motorcycle riders are affecting you. Right. Your insurance in the Harris County area is high because of these 30,000 unlicensed riders in Texas. The majority of them are here in the Southeast Texas area. Okay. And so we've got to try to do that. There is a one-day class. MSF, Motorcycle Safety Foundation, does have the curriculum for one-day class for riders who have experience. I am in the process of getting certified for that, and there's a few other here. The problem is it doesn't make the sponsors a lot of money because people want to take these classes on the weekends. So I can either hold a two-day class that's mandatory and make more money, but I can't fill up two one-day classes of existing riders. And so there's a few places. There's a buddy of mine that teaches on Sunday out off of uh, Magnolia. They've got a two-range location. So Sunday is his day because he's in the motorcycle industry. So he's off Sunday, Monday. So they're able to teach. But there's just not a lot of one-day classes available. We're wanting to start trying to get into that. Once again, we're not trying to, to set the world on fire making money. We're trying to meet a need. Because what I've found in teaching these classes for the past three and a half years, even existing riders 
come out with better skills, better tools in their tool belt to handle their motorcycles in different situations. Because it is nothing like driving a car. It'll fight you every chance it gets because it wants to win. They're designed to do one thing and they do one thing really well. And if you do something contrary to that, it's like a pushback. (laughs) And so that's what we're trying to teach. So I appreciate the opportunity to get out here and share this with people. I know I've done all the talking. Any any questions that have popped up in your mind by listening to me? Man, I'll tell you, that is one heck of a story. You know, there's a lot of information there, a lot of great information. I've not done this podcast yet and had somebody just able to explain nonstop for 35 minutes everything that they do. But there's so much to it. There's so many moving parts. There are. And you're, you're absolutely right. Just going back to what you said about I don't ride a motorcycle. I don't need a license to ride a motorcycle. No one I know does. So why does it involve me? But, you know, you're absolutely right. It's already, as a a licensed motorcycle rider myself, it's already dangerous enough for me, somewhat knowing what I'm doing, having been trained, being on the road. Every single time I got on my bike, every single time I could tell you a story about somebody coming over in front of me, cutting me off, almost getting hit. Mm-hmm. At some point. And if I didn't know how to ride defensively for that, right? because I'm unlicensed and I'm untrained, it becomes more of a problem for us as vehicle drivers. Absolutely. Because it's so easy for that, that motorcyclist to be in our blind spot when really they should be defensively staying out of my blind spot. And the other part of that that a lot of people don't realize, and motorcyclists don't understand this, and it's part of my, my spiel, as you call it, when I'm doing the introduction of my class. But you're 38 more times likely to have a serious injury on a motorcycle in a car. That's a no-brainer. Right. And we all, as motorcyclists, we know that the cars out there are a problem. But only 49% of the motorcycle accidents involve another vehicle. Mm. The majority of those, the motorcycle is hitting the car on the left or in the rear end. Still possibly a motorcycle rider error. For sure. Not able to stop correctly, not watching, not knowing what to watch for. There's a lot of things you have to watch for that you don't really pay that much attention to in a car. That leaves 51% of all the motorcycle accidents are a single vehicle accident, and they are either on a curb or hitting a fixed object. So I don't care how you look at it, the motorcycle rider carries the lion's share of the responsibility of not having that accident. And the students that are graduating these classes are understanding this. I do a lot of free classes, so to speak, not training classes, but speaking classes during the summer months. Not so much this year, but uh, previous years, I'd go to, to bike events that have us come out and talk about group safety or riding safety. And it's amazing. And the number of people who didn't, they don't even take the time to practice quick stops, don't even understand the technique of a quick mm-hmm. stop which equates to hitting the car that pulls out in front of you. Right. And so that needs to be taught as well because we, we're affecting our own our own riding. One last thing I want to throw out here and, and where it would be a big help for us, not just safety on two wheels, but the motorcycle training industry here in Texas. A very good man, Kurt Watson, was in the Senate. He's either representative or state, and I can't remember which, But he had an interest in motorcycle safety, and about the time the law was being passed to have the class, he managed to push through the ability to fund motorcycle safety training in Texas. And so $5 from every renewed license goes to a fund for motorcycle safety training and education. And the way it was set up, as the money would come in, $2 million would be set aside 
for the agency to oversee this over the two-year period. It's state agencies are, are, from what I understand, are paid for or, or funded, so to speak, in two-year increments. And that's why it was a two-year sunset with Texas DPS before TDLR took over. Well, there's over $18 million sitting in a bank account somewhere set aside for motorcycle safety training and education. Only $2 million of that is set aside for the organization to oversee it. But now Kurt Watson has retired. Our advocate in the Senate, our advocate in the House for motorcycle safety, we don't have a voice yet. What we need is, and you can't just say, well, let's just spend it for this. No, if it's set aside by law, it has to have legislation to justify where it's going. And I understand that. But where all of us who are in this industry, and and I didn't realize what a headache nightmare it was to see this carrot of available funds that could be used to build a facility, to put good motorcycles on, to help offset the cost of this training. I mean, if you think about it, I have set this program up out of pocket for $70,000. I will spend, if we do the average of 600 students, six to 800 students a year that most facilities are doing, there's another 20 grand that's going to the college. So for 90 grand, I've set something up. Give me as a person who understands nonprofit, give me that opportunity to use some of this money and I'll start setting up facilities across the state in that same kind of category. But there isn't anything there. And so if you're listening to this, what I need is for you to contact your rep in your area and say, start looking at how to help offset the cost of motorcycle training so that my insurance will go down. I'm so thankful for for the Greater Tomball Chamber of Commerce. We decided to get involved with them when we came out here. Great people. That's how we met you. They said, hey, you got to go over to the beefy people. I said, what? (laughs) They said, beefy marketing. They're going to help you. They know what they're doing. And so that got me involved. And at the first luncheon I went to, a very nice lady sat next to me, and I noticed she had a golden badge on and, and district director and I didn't I thought maybe that was for the chamber come to find out she works for she's a district director for Dr. Tom Oliverson and we were talking and he'd done an exceptionally good job of getting really good plans pushed through and so I actually have an appointment with him this Friday at eight o'clock and so there's one state rep that I know of that's got an interest But if you're listening to this and you know of a state rep or just send them an email and say, hey, start looking at motorcycle safety. We've got a lot of people out there, 30,000 unlicensed riders, and the majority of the accidents are caused by them. No fault, no foul. I'm not saying they're the bad guys. I'm just saying we need to, as a state, we have a problem. We've mandated a good law. You need this class. You need motorcycle safety. It will help you. You have to have it to get your license. Now let's make it available for you so you can get the training, okay, so the cost will not be just absorbent. And that's where I hope people hearing this podcast, I'd love for you to donate into us. We are a public 501c3. You can write your donations off. But if you can talk to your or send a letter or email to your rep and ask them, if we can get the state the freedom, TDLR the freedom to use the money to help offset this cost and to provide training facilities and to help offset the cost of bikes, we can get back to where we were and where we need to be. Originally, I said we were 417 when I came on board. They were saying 500 was what was needed. And they needed probably another 10 facilities, and we were in the upper 30s now. We're low. 
So we can't win this battle without the public's help, both safety on two wheels as well as getting with your representative to help open up that door. At least start looking at it. You know, it's a blind eye. It's not that they are ignoring it. It's not that other things are more important. It's that if you don't let the corner of your house has a leak when it rains, you don't know to fix the roof. And that's the deal. Just the person living in the corner knows it leaks, but it doesn't leak except when it rains. So it's that out of sight, out of mind problem, but it's affecting all of us who buy and pay for our automobile and truck insurance here in Texas. Do you have social media? We do. That's that's painful. I love social media. When we started down this path, I set up a Facebook site, Safety on Two Wheels. I've been marketing it. Every little job I would do, every class I did, I mean, I've updates, updates, updates for three years. And in July, we're on a, my wife and I on a weekend vacation with my friends and and we're on our way back home, and I, I see this this uh, potato cannon that was built. And so I was going to take a picture of that and post it on Facebook and tag a friend who lives by a lake, lives by this for your lake, you know. And it's like my Facebook is frozen. So I'll figure out when I get home. And so I get home, and sure enough, it was shut down because something had happened. I or an organization that I was monitoring the Facebook was deemed as a dangerous organization. Mm. Well, the two organizations that were deemed dangerous was one called We Deliver Motorcycles, which was a little side motorcycle job we were doing. And we closed that down two months ago. And the other one was my homeowners association clubhouse were tagged. I couldn't get in. I would go through the process. I would approve who I am. They would send me the code to my phone. I would get a little red message that check your SMS. We're not able to send the code. Then I would get the code. And then I couldn't get on. There's nobody in Facebook to talk to. They're totally this blank wall. And so for 30 days, I watched the clock tick down telling me that if I can't prove who I am and take control of this, I will lose my account. Mm. Well, guess what? David Jones lost his account, which means I lost access. There's, <laughs> and I have a new account up. They finally approved me. I've got a new account moving forward. And now two of the little pop-ups of things you may want to like and follow. One of them was my safety on two wheels with 217 yep. followers, and I have 20 now on my new safety mm. SO2W motorcycle training. I have like 20 followers now. I have 217. When I set it up, I set up my partner as an editor instead of an admin, so he can't add me back in. And he works on a ship, so he's offshore 28 days out of the month and back in for 14. And so it's just a disconnect for him doing that. So that's been kind of a heartache. So if you ask me about social media, I said, yeah, I do. But you can't do it. <laughs> but I can't do that. Well, I am. I'm doing stuff every time. I'm starting now to post stuff. And, and, and I guess I'm going to need to buy a, a new phone because the way the algorithms work with Facebook, they know my IP address on my phone. Mm-hmm. So when I pull up the app to try to use the app, it recognizes this phone. It won't let me access everything because that was the bad guy. Gotcha. So now I'm having to go through the actual online things. It's just convoluted. But yeah, we have social media. It's at SO2, the number two W, motorcycle training. We are on Google. Google has verified our location. So even when you're out at our location at Tomball College, if you click up on Facebook and check in, it'll give you two choices, Lone Star College or SO2W Motorcycle Training. So that's there. We've got some good reviews on Google, and we're starting to get some reviews now on the Facebook. We just need more followers, more people following what's going on because I had a, an Instagram that I was posting things. 
that's tied in with Facebook that yep. I can't get yep. on now. So <laughs> I've got to start over with that. Oh, so man. anyway, yeah. So we're gonna we're moving on that. We're moving forward, but it's slow. I'm a I'm a one man uh, one man show trying to do all this by myself. Like I said, my partner helps every chance he can, but as long as he's on this on his uh, ship gig as a as a ship's mate, and he's just kind of out there at sea wanting to help. He was here, you know, for his two weeks, and he came out and visited me. And he's excited about what's going on, but until something gets growing enough where he can afford to quit doing what he's doing. He has to keep doing what he's doing or paying for our, we have to raise our families. So anyway, that's kind of where we're at. So awesome. if you hear this message, go to Facebook and like us and follow us and, and see what's going on. Yeah, we need to, we need to get out there and support y'all as much as we can. That's the whole point of this podcast. So hopefully everybody listening will contact their state rep. We'll leave information on that below in the show notes on the website. So you'll be able to find all that information on how to find your state representative how to find safety on two wheels. We'll link everything there. Doc, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today and sharing your story with us. It's been great. Well, John, I appreciate the opportunity. When I stepped in just to introduce myself, it was more to find out about, you know, what it's going to take to get shirts and can y'all kind of maybe help me with social media or marketing or whatever. And they said, hey, we've got a podcast. Let's get you started with that. And for being a nonprofit, small organization to have an opportunity to come share what I'm doing on a podcast was like, Yeah, how fast can I get here? (laughs) So thanks a lot for opening that door. You've been listening to The Beef Podcast, sponsored by Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more small business stories, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. To share your story, visit us at beefymarketing.com. Till next time, thanks for listening to The Beef.